0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. Today, there is increasing uncertainty on all fronts across cyberspace, geospace, and space, if you refer referred to as CGS. This is mainly due to the rapid advances in science and technology that is creating asymmetries across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, in many enforcing ways. While technology is on its way to change the way we communicate, collaborate, work, shop, socialize and entertain ourselves, it is also changing the way we go to war. Since the way we go to war is changing, understanding and preparing for each warfare, both existing as well as emerging from cyberspace, geospace and space, has become a survival necessity. When each nation today increasingly depends on closely integrated, high-speed electronic systems, a tiny weapon gives nations' enemies the ability to use the electromagnetic spectrum signals such as radio, infrared, or radar to deny those nations the ability to use these signals for their digital infrastructure and digital connectivity. This understandably changes the nature of warfare and shakes the very foundation of security and peace. Since the electronic warfare is already on our doorsteps, it is important to evaluate how prepared each nation is today in their defensive as well as offensive capabilities to meet the complex electronic warfare challenges that is threatening the very progress and advances nations have made in cyberspace, geospace and space. To discuss electronic warfare preparedness further, i'm honored to welcome professor harry nimon to risk professor dr nimon is a career strategic intelligence officer and has years of experience in intelligence operations and is a principal consultant in warfare operations counterterrorism and human machine interaction for dod dia ioc and various other organizations he has over 30 published reports and textbooks and is currently working on a predictive textbook concerning the potential for war with China that includes a structured scenario of where, how, and possible objectives. Welcome, folks. I'm delighted to have you on this roundup.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, Let me update you. The uh, book on the coming war with China actually is now published. Uh, It uh, came out on both Amazon and on Ex Libris last week and uh, is available. Great.
0: I'm glad to know that. So, Professor Nimon, how is, from your assessment, how is warfare evolving and how are nations addressing the warfare challenges, not only today, but also for the coming tomorrow?
1: There actually is an extreme amount of interest that is being paid in, particularly in uh, the major countries of China, the Soviet Union. Uh, or I should say Russia now, it's not the Soviet Union anymore. Uh, The United States, uh, the NATO allies, and in some of the other non-aligned nations, and by the non-aligned nations, I mean nations such as India, Pakistan, Australia, uh, nations that are being constantly bombarded with various threats in the cyber community and in other domains. Uh, The problem that we have is, of course, the amount of, of effort that is necessary when you have so many openings into the cyber domain that it's It's almost the story of the the little boy with his finger in the dike, and you constantly have little holes that are opening in that dike. You don't have enough fingers or enough reach to to plug all of the holes uh, therefore effort is being made to redefine what it is that is necessary to not just defend against the structure of electronic warfare, but just what is electronic warfare? And well. do we have the option of possibly moving away from a standard means of both communication and in the utilization of of system structures Uh, Not so much away from electronics, because at this particular point in time, electronics uh, is, or use of electronics is the means by which we we function, but to such things as uh, neutron communications, for example. Uh, There have been experiments done in various universities to include Rice University, that have been showing a great amount of success in the utilization of a neutron beam. For example, as a communications medium that is both uh, non interceptable uh, non-jammable, and you, you just simply cannot do anything to uh, disrupt it at this point. Not saying at some point in the future that you can't, but at this point, it does not look like it, it will be possible. Uh, there is a there is a book out um, that talks about a war that is after a war, called the War After Armageddon, where all the sides went to war with the various types of electronic warfare and basically destroyed each other's capability to do electronic warfare and went back to, as Einstein said, throwing rocks and stones at each other. Um, it was it was quite an interesting uh, expose on what might end up happening. And I do use, in the coming war with China, I utilize the capability for electromagnetic pulse weaponry. So uh, there are organizations such as a group called the Mad Scientist Organization, which is part of the U.S. Army TRADOC. TRADOC is the Training and Doctrine Command, which is looking at how do we conduct warfare out to 2050. And it is sponsored by Georgetown University. Um, And it is specifically looking at how do we conduct military operations when you have an extremely high electronic warfare and environment? Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I was invited to go to Germany for a four-week military exercise in that domain. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be available to do that. That would have been very interesting.
0: Yes, it would have been very interesting. And what you just described is fascinating. I mean, uh, I'm glad to hear about the progress. Uh, especially about the neutrino uh, that you just uh, mentioned, that the experiments were done at Rice University. And uh, it 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 seems that, you know, it will be, a, it, it's impenetrable, at least at this point. And uh, in the coming years, we'll have to see how it holds up. But uh, based on, you know, what the reports I've been reading, that in, uh, I think, in 2012, uh, the Korea, in Korea, several, you know, aircrafts uh, where the GPS were you know, were impacted and they observed the failure and the lots of ships and fishing boats, Uh, they also were jammed and impacted. So it seems that this this electromagnetic warfare is already happening. So from your assessment, what threats nations are facing today from the electromagnetic weapons that are existing today and what threats are possible in the coming tomorrow if we are not able to make our... uh, uh, electronic weapons resilient and uh, if the electronic warfare uh, goes unchecked, what, what dangers are we facing today?
1: Most of the systems that you hear about uh, being impacted are civilian activities. They do not have the type of hardening that military systems have already. That does not mean that military systems cannot be impacted. Electronic warfare is based upon the standards of the physics of radio communications. Um, It's very, very simple. If you have the power between a receiver and a sender to break the communication link, you're going to break that link, period. The receiver, if your power uh, input into that receiver is higher than the power input from the authorized sender, your radio system is going to accept that input. You can't stop that. Uh, The only way that a system is capable of making a determination, is that the sender that I want to listen to or is it not? is through coding or through uh, identification structures. Um, The unfortunate thing is that only through such things as spread spectrum communications or other factors such as that uh, do we have the possibility of overcoming and military units uh, do have that capability. Uh, they have the ability to utilize a bandwidth that is much, much larger than what civilian bandwidths are allowed to use, and um, their ability to cross those spectrums is much greater. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the individual cost of such systems is very high. So there again, we have the limitation of how many dollars do you want to spend to protect things like an aircraft or a fleet of fishing boats from such, uh, from such situations. And if you remember on those situations where the aircraft was uh, taken over by the individual, the individual had to be on the aircraft. In order to do that, it does not take a lot of power if you are on the aircraft to overpower the signal that is coming to the aircraft because that GPS signal is coming from a little over 25,000 miles out in space. You are, if you're on the aircraft, you're only a few feet from the radio receiver, and therefore your power is easily going to overwhelm the power of what is coming from. Outer space from that distance, um, the physics of it is is well known, and only through uh shielding or through other factors can that kind of thing be be terminated uh, by by placing the receivers into or the the cabin into what is known as a faraday cage but there again, the Faraday cage, the construction of that. Uh, can create other problems for the people on board. So you have those issues.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I I hear you on that now. But uh, as you said, you know, the many challenges that we see today are for the civilian, you know, for the private industry and not for the military. But uh, as we see that our critical infrastructure is both controlled by the, you know, private as well as public and uh, uh, the security, the boundaries of security are blurring and there is a growing concern that while we have learned how to jam the wireless detonators of uh, improvised explosive devices because of the uh, what we have gone through in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, we haven't learned how to secure our communication links or access to GPS signals, if that is true, I'm not sure if that is true. But if that is true, in a potential electronic war, can we protect our electronics? Because digital global age, everything is getting digitized, and you know all the electronics, irrespective of private or public, whether it's government, industries, organizations, academia, or military, you know everyone, has you know electronic. Uh, that they need to protect. So if this is true that, you know, we do not, uh, we haven't uh, mastered how to secure our communication links or access to GPS signals, then it is a cause of concern, don't you think?
1: It most definitely is, but to state that we have not learned how to do that is a misnomer. I'll give you an example. Um, Some years ago, myself and another individual were involved in answering that question for Compact Computer Corporation when it existed. Um, We came up with an answer that was very similar because of my experiences with the uh, nuclear program in the U.S. government. Uh, We created a structure that totally secured the communications and the network at Compact Computer Corporation from any Exterior force any exterior hacking we had people deliberately try to get into the system after we had had created and put this This structure in place. They were unable to do it Um, We were actually written up in disaster recovery magazine as the world-class structure for such things when Hewlett-Packard took over Hewlett-Packard had their structure, which was far less capable than the Compaq structure, but they were selling that structure to the world as a premier uh, structure. Compaq had decided not to sell their structure for the very reason of internal security. They did not want to create a situation where somebody else could take a look at it and say, oh, gee, here is a way of getting past it. We did not think it would be possible for anyone to get past it. But then again, anything made by man can be broken by man. Um, Because of that, Hewlett-Packard deleted the program that we had taken and put in place at Compaq totally erased all the procedures, put their system in place, and within six months had gotten hacked. So it was a business decision on their part because they didn't want their customers to say, well, you're selling us this system, but you don't use it yourself. So again, it becomes a dollars uh, and profit question within the business community, do you want to pay for the protection or do you not want to pay for the protection? The protection can be there if you want to pay for it. And the same is true within government. The same is true within the military. It can be done if you want to pay the price. The price is not going to be cheap. When I was working for Boeing Corporation, we demonstrated a capability uh, to a major defense organization that would have made it possible for them to um, maybe not be totally secure, but it would have increased their security, again, based on uh, prior use of nuclear security protocols. Um, the military organization was very interested in having us come in and perform a feasibility study for them. Um, Boeing corporation made the decision because they are in the business of aerospace, not electronic warfare to terminate our program and not allow us to go to this military organization and continue to market them. I was laid off and then retired and the program was terminated.
0: Yes, yes I hear you on that. You know, that there's a very complex challenges and especially if we look at these electromagnetic weapons, Uh, they can be used without uh, any, uh, you know, noticeability, without any risk. Because uh, if we are looking at terrorists, you know, we can see the terrorists coming at the gates. And uh, if we look at the cyber warfare, we can see hackers that may raise alarms. And uh, while they are trying to slip through the firewalls, there are a lot of, you know, uh, different uh, warning signs, red flags that uh, can, you know, alert uh, uh, entities that, you know, there is a, hack, you know, about to happen or it's ongoing. But if you look at electromagnetic uh, warfare, EM attacker can try and try again and no one will ever notice until the computer systems begin to fail. And even once the computer systems fail, we still will not know why they have failed. So these electronic wo- weapons and electronic warfare are very complex to detect, you know, if there is uh, any uh, warfare happening, it's very hard to detect uh, until and after it has already happened. So from your assessment, you have worked with so many different organizations. How resilient do you think is our nation's infrastructure in cyberspace, geospace and space, because everywhere, you know, we do need to uh, protect our electronics, irrespective of whether it's uh, geospace, or we are talking about uh, digital infrastructure, or we are talking about the space infrastructure.
1: When, when you talk about infrastructure, the, I have a second book out. It's called Offensive and Defensive Security. That book was put out in 2013. And if I can brag a little bit in the book, chapter seven, I actually predicted hurricane Harvey. Nobody listened to me back then about the, the dangers of the exact type of hurricane that, uh, that this would put off in that book. I also, uh, have different threats to the Houston area that, uh, that could cause catastrophic level deaths from various types of terrorist organizations. Um, I do not go into cyber specifically, but I do talk about the fact that the infrastructure within not just Houston but within the United States is wide open. There is almost no protection to our infrastructure, and I'm talking uh, power transmission, I'm talking about highways, I'm talking about railways, I'm talking about uh, ship channels and uh, pipelines, they they are wide open. I have discussed this with other individuals in other organizations. Uh, they agree with me. Um, this, this one civil engineer that I know has been crying about the problems for many, many years. Uh, one individual, for example, uh, recently talked to me. He is in the Corps of Engineers and is about to retire and told me about the level of danger that exists in Houston uh, simply because all of the reservoirs that we have are 60% filled with silt. So they can only hold 40% of the water that they were designed to fill with. Um, So even from a natural perspective, the degree of threat that that this, this area alone has is staggering. And then when you put on top of that, the fact that the creation of an electromagnetic pulse weapon is actually fairly simple. About 35 years ago, there was an accident at a battery plant. And this, this particular accident um, involved the production of graphite that put graphite dust into the air of the plant. And the graphite dust caused an arc, an electronic arc between two electronic motors in the plant. That arc caused an electromagnetic pulse that went 10 miles. And it fried every piece of electronic equipment within that 10 mile period to include uh, telephone substations and power substations. And it was a relatively small event. So if that kind of thing can happen by accident, can you consider what might happen if somebody decided to manufacture such a thing?
0: Very true. It is a cause of great concern. and. Uh... This connect, computer code and connected computers has connected everything and everyone. So all the boundaries of security are blurring. And uh, if these are since these are very really complex challenges, electromagnetic warfare, anybody can have a small briefcase uh, with a radio weapon and you know electronic weapon and uh, can destroy any infrastructure. You know because there is no way we will be able to prevent. We will not be able to know who is bringing that electronic weapon. And uh, all of our infrastructure, like you said, are uh, highly vulnerable. There are a lot of, uh, there are many, many security gap holes and uh, uh, there is absolutely no way to fill all those gaps. So, and moreover, there is, we do not know exactly in the, within a nation, if we talk about United Nation, uh, United States, sorry, if we talk about e- even United States, who is accountable for electronic warfare? Are individual entities, are individual businesses, individual uh, the pre, you know critical infrastructure owners, operators, or military? Who is responsible for electronic warfare? Uh, do we have defined clarity on that? That who is responsible for uh, protecting the electronics within uh, any nation?
1: Yes, we do. Um, the unfortunate thing is that uh, too many individuals within those defined domains are playing politics with it. Um, Let's use the example of, and and this is a very sensitive topic, let's use the example of who is responsible for protecting the children in schools? Why? How should it be done? I have a student who is a doctoral student who is doing a study of the counterterrorism standards that are being put in place for schools in 10 states. To date, he has found that of those 10 state organizations, the, the different uh ISDs, let's call them, the the different school districts in those 10 states that have um, answered his queries, none of them are, not one. They're responsible to do that, but because of the political pressures that are being put on them by the various organizations that have the ability to put pressure on them they are not being allowed to do anything. Um, if you go in and you talk to teachers in the Houston school district, in some of the school districts around here, even in Sugarland, and look on the news today about what happened in Katy with their superintendent. That's um, a good example of why We do not have a structured body that is taking to heart the threat that we have to our infrastructure. I could take by myself and maybe one or two other people, and this is covered in my book, my offensive and defensive security book, I myself could take a homemade weapon I could shut down the ship channel or I could close down the hospital district and I could kill tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. I would never do that. I would rather make sure that that could not happen, but I am enough of an intelligence analyst to know how that can be done. And just like the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, there were two instances of that very same type of attack being performed before Pearl Harbor Harbor, that our Navy said couldn't happen and did. They ignored it.
0: Yes. Yes, you. Yeah, I, I. I hear you. You are absolutely right on that. That there is no accountability. There is no structured framework or structured processes, or there are no institutions which keeps and uh, which are responsible for managing this security risk. And when politics interferes with how to manage security risk, that is a cause of great concern. So, uh, irrespective of military or civilians, public or private. What steps do you think can be taken within our, you know, all these constraints that we are facing within our nation or across nations to protect against the electromagnetic weapons? What can we do?
1: It depends on how you're going to define we. The American people have the unique power based on the Constitution of saying to their elected leaders, do this or you're out of a job. Not at the next election, but right now. If the American people start at the grassroots level and start removing people that do not take this threat seriously and have it flow up the chain to the county, to the state, and to the federal government that will send a message to these people, we're we're tired of this, get off your standard politics as usual and take care of the business that you were elected to do. And that is the only way that it is going to happen. Otherwise, they don't care. There was, a, there was an individual on a news show the other day that said the Congress um, popularity rate is 15%, yet the reelection rate is 95%. Congress is the only organization that can fail at their job and yet get re-elected 95% of the time. Why? That's the question that should be asked. And yes,
0: that is the right question to ask. And the challenge is that understanding or getting informed about the security risk or and having awareness is something that we lack across nations. You know, irrespective of nation, you will see that, you know, most of the people do not understand what kind of security is they're facing. Uh, what is the cyber warfare? What kind of cyber warfare is happening? What is electronic warfare? What are the risks, you know, emerging from electronic warfare? These are the kind of, uh, that knowledge, that education awareness is not there. So uh, e- even if, you know, the election after election, we will see the same results because... <laughs> Uh, people, individuals uh, don't understand the seriousness of the security challenges that are coming over way. And even if, if you look at the cyber warfare, effective cyber warfare necessitates reliable transmission of data over radio waves. That means cyber warfare also depends on electronic warfare. But we don't see an integrated approach to both cyber warfare and electronic warfare. There you know, it is not that, you know, there are no efforts going on. There are efforts going on, but they are in bits and pieces. And we don't have an integrated approach to both uh, cyber warfare and electronic warfare.
1: The FCC is supposedly the organization within the federal government that is to control our airwaves. They are the ones who are supposed to be responsible for controlling everything that goes on in the electronic spectrum. Why has that person not been fired for not taking control of this very serious problem? Why is that person or those people that are involved in that agency not not being sued, not having their feet held to the fire, but not having congressman after congressman after congressman calling them in, instead of of the ridiculous uh, special prosecutions that are going on for no reason. Whether you're you're pro Trump or anti Trump, it doesn't matter. Uh, you have a major threat to the national security of the United States that people can die from. And individuals are concerned whether or not somebody talked to some other country. Big deal.
0: Um, You're right. Politic- political ideology has no place when it comes to national security. No, it does not.
1: Point. No, it does not. It, it has no place. But again, I heard it once said, what is, the oppos- what is the opposite of progress? Congress.
0: Yes, yes, you are right about that. Now, you know, the, those challenges we all are facing and we all are aware of it, but uh, when we look at, you know, other countries like Russia and China and the reports that are coming that, you know, they have... Uh, uh, great advances as far as as the electronic warfare capabilities go. So uh, that becomes a cause of great concern because how has Russia's military turned its attention to fully exploiting the electromagnetic spectrum by, you know, employing these electronic warfare assets and what are Russia's capabilities and what is what are not just Russia, but what are Russia and China's capabilities and what is the future role of disruptive technologies? If you look at the electromagnetic domain.
1: Their capabilities are so far beyond what the United States capabilities are from a military's perspective at this point that it's very similar to what happened at the dawn of the space race. If it had not been for John Kennedy... And his leadership in saying in the next 10 years, we will put a man on the moon and return him safely. We'd still be sitting around wondering how to get a rocket ship off the ground because that's just how political our organizations are. But when he showed his leadership and said, we will do this and we will do this within 10 years. And the American people said, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. Congress didn't have a choice. They had to do it. Now, do we have a president that is willing to do that same thing now? That remains to be seen. He's focused on, on a border wall. Okay, well, I can think of things much more important than that.
0: Yes. Yes, very, very true cyber if, he, board,
1: took, if yes. he took If he took the same amount of money that he's talking about in building a border wall, he could have the type of cyber capability to not only take care of the lead that that other nations have but also to create a cyber wall because I did work on that kind of thing when I was at Boeing and you really don't need a physical wall. You could create a situation that, uh, that makes it a win-win situation for everybody. But that's a different story.
0: Yes, no, um, I hear you on that because, see, having a wall does not mean that we are going to prevent the cyber attacks that are coming our way or the electromagnetic yeah. attacks that are coming our way or any other attacks that would, you know, uh, emerge like bioweapons and, you know, nano weapons and all different kinds of weapons. So we won't be able to prevent all those weapons and attacks coming our way by having a physical wall. I hear you on that completely. And there are also, you know... It go there. A lot of you know concern that whoever owns the electromagnetic spectrum will win the next warfare. Uh, So it's a question you know to uh, debate right now that who actually owns the electromagnetic spectrum? Is it US? Is it China? Is it Russia? Who owns the electromagnetic spectrum?
1: There again, it depends on where you're talking about. Just like any other military operation, you can have a specific location in the world where you can focus a a level of power, a level of capability that outclasses your enemy. Even though your enemy in their homeland far outclass you. You can you can focus your force to such an extent in a in a particular area that you overwhelm them take desert storm for example we overwhelmed in one small location all of saddam hussein's vastly superior forces and destroyed him in a couple of days that is the entire aspect of military force and how military force can be used. Um, You take, as Sun Tzu said, you take an enemy's weaknesses and strengths and use them against them. The concept of, yes, your enemy may have overwhelming strength in this part, but that's not where you attack. You attack over here where he doesn't have anything, and by the time he gets there, you've already won. Uh,
0: if we, I mean, based on what you have seen within our nation and across our nations, uh, across nations, as, uh, especially you know, when we talk about the electronic warfare, what concerns you most today? And if you had the power to change anything, what would you like to change?
1: No, that's a tough question. I guess the thing that I would change is the focus of the elected bodies of the states and federal government. Um, the United States constitution establishes the powers that each branch is supposed to have. Over the course of our 200 years, the federal government has taken more and more and more power. The Constitution states specifically that the federal government only has this amount of power. Any power that is not specifically identified to the federal government is reserved to the state. Any power that is not specifically granted to the state by the people is specifically reserved to the people. Now, what the Congress of the United States has done is they have said that since they are the representatives of the people, that they have the power to state that they can give themselves additional powers because they represent the people. So, I would have the change of stating that they cannot give themselves anything unless they put it up for a vote of the people, and I would backdate that probably to the early 1900s, so things like giving themselves raises, um, certain war powers, certain things along that line. Um, They would have to go out and get each state to hold a convention and have their people in the state decide, can you or can you not have this power? Are you or are you not allowed to have this power? Now, there are certain things that, yes, they they should have the power to do, like the regulation of air traffic. That 's a change that the people that established the Constitution never thought about um, term limits i don 't think anybody in Congress should be in Congress their entire life um, but that 's just me um,
0: that, that's those are fair you know points, and those are fair. Uh, ideas to work on for the security of our country. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially those young minds who are so keen to come up with new ideas, innovations, and new way of doing things that can help their respective nations be prepared for not only the cyber warfare, but also the electronic warfare and the electronic security posture?
1: I would tell them research what they're doing and learn the truth before you act. There's so many things that, that people, particularly the youth, are being told that is out and out false. And then they go off and they do something and only found that find out later when they're much older that what they did was damaging to themselves and their future. I was that way during the Vietnam war. A lot of people before me were that way. A lot of people after me have been that way. And we've all lived to regret the things that we've done out of our ignorance.
0: Yes, very true, very true that uh, ignorance is the key and that is the more the reason why education and awareness of these critical topics and critical security risk facing everyone or every nation uh, becomes so vital. So thank you so much, Professor Niman, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on electronic warfare preparedness and our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the complex security challenges facing each nation's electronics and the digital infrastructure it controls. So even if a single individual across nations can come up with an idea to advance the security solutions for electronics, based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, this risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that.
1: You're very welcome. And, uh, Please let them know that both books are available on both Ex Libris and on Amazon.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure that our global viewers and listeners would take this opportunity to purchase these books and uh, uh, read it and understand the complex challenges facing each nation and how to protect and prepare uh, for these emerging, uh, existing, and emerging warfare and uh, bring security and peace for uh, each and every nation. So, electronic warfare preparedness is fundamental for nations' survival and security today and in the coming tomorrow. And risk group cybersecurity, geo-security, and space security risk research centers are created for this very reason, to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIOA in cities, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at risk group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they all work together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup audio podcast, please go to riskgrouplc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jay Shree. Host of this program, Sunny. I'll see you next time. Thank you.